So we sat down today with Trevor Cowley. Um, we became familiar with some of his content. He does a lot of stuff on social media. Um, and uh, he has a, a top 1% business podcast, the Real Business yeah, he's Owners awesome. podcast. Yeah. And uh, I knew about a lot of his content. A lot of his content is around, you know, sacrifice, d- delaying gratification mm-hmm. now in order to build yourself kind of your own empire. In the yeah. Future. If you're, I think the, the most applicable stuff from this as um, he started making good money, like life changing money, the decisions that he made early on in that process set him up for such a bigger thing later on. So I think as our sales reps that are starting to make good money, starting to get out of debt, like that type of thing, really, really pay attention to the decisions he makes as he's on the come up. Yeah. His advice and I didn't know his backstory. I mean, he, this is a guy that hit rock bottom, which you'll hear in a minute, but his backstory of just finding a sales job. And he kept saying, if I could just get to a six figure income, mm-hmm. then, you know, you could put that money to work to create an ultimate seven figure income. And I, I kept thinking how valuable that would have been. This would have been for me to hear when I started selling a hundred years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, he is, he is awesome. And his, the story arc of his life is really, really um, incredible, but I think it'll be really relatable to a lot of people um, that listen in today. And it's not, doesn't have to be a similar um, kind of rock bottom that he hit, but I think a lot of people have kind of been through that type of like adversity and will be able to relate a lot to what he has to share. So pretty awesome. Yeah. And he's pretty open with his story about what like, like entrepreneurs zero, yeah. and salespeople deal with. So uh, check him out, check out his podcast at the real business owners and enjoy this episode with Trevor Cowley. The league presents electric people. What's up electric people. We are joined by Trevor Cowley today, uh, entrepreneur and top podcaster. Trevor has uh, a podcast in the top 1% of business podcasts called Real Business Owners. So got a man on the show about to show us how to actually do this game for real, Adam. Uh, is he sponsored by Manscaped? That's the first question I have. <laughs> are you sponsored by Manscaped, Trevor? Well, it doesn't look like you are either, dude. You got, oh! a, you got, you got, a, beard, you got a beard coming oh, in. Oh, nice mine's tight. Today, bro. Mine is you so tight. I'm lined up right now. Look, that's that's 20, that's due it. to my Manscaped trimmers. Yeah. Thanks, Manscaped. Yeah, well, well, lift up your shirt and prove it, bro. <laughs> I have a feeling there's a hairy chest underneath all that sweat. That, that so. is what it's like to be a man in 2021. Where within the first couple minutes of meeting someone, you're you like, get, well, yeah. how's, how's your, Do you how's your body hair game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't ask you what's in your bank account, but I can't ask you how trim that, mm-hmm. that sweater under your shirt is. Um, on that note, I think this is a strong start. One of the strongest starts we've had for a while. You're um, welcome. Hey, talk us through. So you're an entrepreneur, you run many different businesses and you showed up on our radar as, you know, you speak at a lot of the conferences that our guys have been to. I'm sure a lot of our audience uh, is aware of your work, but we want to talk sales with you today and talk about entrepreneurship and how you started up your businesses. So maybe give our our listeners kind of the the quick version of how you got started in entrepreneurialism and uh, how you got started in podcasting. I started out as a salesperson, just like anybody that's probably listening to this podcast, right? And salespeople are the type of individuals that don't want a ceiling to the amount of money that they can make, right? And so it's the same mindset as an entrepreneur. The only reason why we do what we do is so that we could create our own destiny. That's the only reason why, you know, young people gravitate towards sales because they do not want to, to limit themselves on what they have the ability to do. The only limitation that they want is their own effort, right? And so that's why we got into sales, me and my business partner, Kel. And, uh, and, and that's what where we were you selling? Uh, we were, so, so this was back in 2003. We were selling just like internet uh, websites and coaching. So in 2003, the internet was still in its infancy phase right? Yeah. There were, not every business had a website. Not everybody was out there trying to utilize the internet to get their, their brand or their name out there at that point. And so we were taking advantage of that opportunity, educating entrepreneurs and business owners about this thing called the internet and how powerful it's going to be. And they're going to want to have a, a, a piece of this real estate, so to speak, that's online. And how you do that is by having a website and then ultimately getting attention to your website, right? And so it was a pretty easy sales pitch because at the end of the day, they could start to see that that's the way things were starting to head. They were just kind of behind the curve a little bit. 
And so we would, we, that, that's all we were doing. I was just a, a I was what's called a setter. You know, there's probably people listening to this that are appointment setters or whatever it is. And then a closer comes in, gives them the, the, the gamut and uh, says, you're an idiot for not working with us. Let's get you signed up. Right. And so I started out just as a setter gathering information. Uh, when I showed up to work, you got to understand, I was a landscaper before that, you know, making like 350 bucks a week, busting my butt every single day, waking up at four o'clock in the morning to try to beat the heat in St. George, Utah, so that we can get off earlier. And I went to, over to my buddy's house and he said he was in sales and that he was making 1500 to $2,000 a week. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that. I couldn't <laughs> wrap my head around that. Right. And, and, and that was just based upon the environment that I grew up in. Right. I grew up sure. very, very, well, well what was, what was mowing pan? What's that? What was mowing pan at the time? Mowing pan. Lawn, lawn, lawn mowing. What was the mowing lawn mowing pan? Yeah. The everybody, everybody went to, uh, well, I started out lawn mowing when I was like 13 or 14 to make money. Right. Yep. And then, so naturally it was like, oh, there's somebody that started a landscape company. Now I'm going to just go mow lawns for them. And I literally, mm -hmm. it was my Boy Scouts leader is he was, he had a landscape company, started employing us at 14 years old. And so here I am at 19, still doing the same old thing, thinking I that think this that's is highly illegal. Is my life. Hiring 14 year old boys no, to come. That's like, not illegal. That's good profit margins, right? Oh, the <laughs> margins were ridiculous, bro. <laughs> uh, a quick 20 on a Saturday and yeah, a we were happy happy you know so happy. You, you could pay through no, the gas no station. insurance yeah none nothing. of that all under the table all he had to do is follow us around and fix the sprinklers that we would run over <laughs> you know because he knew that that was gonna be the damage is yeah. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing so we we're running over sprinkler heads all that stuff so he's falling behind us just fixing our mistakes he was a good man and and taught us the value of hard work and and uh you know, gave us that opportunity at a very young age to start making money. And so I, I continued to do that till I was 19, showed up to my buddy's house. He talked about this money. I just didn't even think it was possible. He finally convinced me to take a chance. And, and, and I reconciled the thought like, well, worst case scenario, I'm no good at this sales thing. Any landscape company needs a grunt worker. Like I can always go back to making 300 or $400 a week, right? You got to understand this is, you know, 2002. So um, you know, I think minimum wage was like six, seven bucks an hour or something like that at that time. And so I was making probably like nine bucks an hour, uh, really just having to, having to bust my butt in order to get that 300 to $400 per week. And he's over there taking it easy, making 1500 to $2,000 a week. Right. And so I said, let's give this thing a shot. And when I pulled up that first day, I saw Escalades in the parking lot. I saw a Hummer. I saw a Porsche and I was like, I think I'm in the right spot. You know, if, if this is the spot that could allow me the opportunity to have those things, I'm going to make it work. I don't care what it's going to take, but that will be my life at one point or another. I just needed the opportunity. I wasn't the best in school. Like I didn't even graduate high school on time. So I knew like I wasn't the smartest dude in the entire world and I came from nothing, so I didn't have money. Money creates opportunity, but I didn't have that. Skills create an opportunity. I didn't have a whole lot of skills based upon what the system told me. I fell out of the system, right, in terms of high school. And so I figured I'd have to do, you know, manual labor, hard work for a long, long time in order to, to, to get by just in life in general. And when I was given an opportunity to go into sales, I didn't look back. Right. I, I went all in right when I saw that parking lot. I said, whatever I'm walking into, I am going to make work. And so I made that commitment prior to even walking in. And I walked in and I think I made like sixty five thousand or something like that the very first year that I did it, which was head and shoulders above the 18 or 20 grand that I was going to make landscaping. Right. And so I knew that there was a lot of potential in, in the industry. But I, I started running around with the wrong crowd to be just frank with you. Uh, when you're young and you start making money and you look up and idolize certain people that are making way more money than you, you just kind of want to do what they're doing and be around them, right? And so I wanted to be around these individuals, but they were older. They were making mistakes in their life in terms of what they were choosing to do uh, with their 
extra time or the activities outside of work. In other words, they were utilizing drugs, right? And so I think a lot of young people that that start making money and come into sales, they need to be hyper aware of the type of people that they surround themselves with because you can get pulled down a, a pretty dark rabbit hole because you have more money coming in than the common person uh, when you're a good sales rep. That ultimately means that allows you more money to get deeper into an addiction or spend more money on things that don't serve you. And uh, and that's something that I did. I ended up becoming a drug addict for about four years, got clean right before I was 24 years old. I went back into sales with a fresh mind saying, that's not going to be me anymore. I'm not going to surround myself with the wrong type of people. Um, and I knew for a fact that it was time to take life serious, right? Because when I was young making money, look, you guys see it all the time. Youngsters come in, they start making money, and then they start blowing the money. They, they live for the weekends and they're partying and then they're they're hooking their homies up. They're taking care of the tab or when they travel, they're buying for everybody. And, and I was guilty of doing all that too. So I was making good money, but I had nothing to show for it. And then I ended up becoming a drug addict. And so I was down at a very, very low spot. I recommitted to myself that it's really time to take life seriously because life's not going to give anything to me, especially a poor kid that just came off of being a drug addict for four years. Like I was in a very, very tight spot. I owed 30 grand in back taxes. You know, I had court fines. I had collections on my credit report. I basically had to rebuild a life. And uh, I knew if I wasn't the smartest guy in the whole world, that I had to use the one skill that I had available to me, which was sales, right? I was very good at sales. But the issue with that is there's a lot of great salespeople. That's not going to really separate you in life. What's going to separate you is what you do with the money that's coming in when you're a good sales rep. And so I knew that I needed to save money. So when I started touching six figures, when I got clean, went back into sales, I started making 120, 130 grand a year, not bad money, especially when you're trying to, you know, dig out of this hole that you put yourself in. And I said, I need to have access to capital. I need, I need access to money. Nobody's going to give me money. Nobody's going to just give a, an idiot kid an opportunity. So I had to make myself of value to an opportunity. The only way for me to do that is by have a certain skill set or have a certain amount of money parked in the bank. If I'm a programmer and you guys come to me and want to program an app for door-to-door -door salespeople, I could say, hey, guys, what I'll do is I'll program that app, but I want 25% of it. You guys don't have to pay me anything. It's your idea. It's your concept. I can start trading my skill set for equity in some cases. Now, there's certain skills that you could do that with. There's certain skills that you can't do that with, right? And I knew as a sales rep, since that's a dime a dozen, there's plenty of sales reps out there that can perform and, and can produce. So that's not a unique enough skill set that it's ultimately going to get me equity into a business. Now, the big thing that brings opportunity value is money. And this is why broke people always say that they can't catch a break. Well, they can't catch a break because they can't bring any value to an opportunity. And so youngsters listening to this right now, if they want to be hyper successful in 10 years or 15 years, the decisions that they make today will ultimately determine that. So what I did is I drove a $3,000 Mitsubishi Lancer with no air conditioning for years while I was making $120,000, $30,000 a year. I lived in a $750 crap hole townhouse with just carpet stains all over the place in order to separate myself. I knew I had to live off of a little to allow myself the ability to have enough extra income to pad a bank account so that I could put 30, 40, 50, 100 grand in the bank and opportunity always finds money. It's a mag, they're, they're two magnets that are two alike. They, they find each other. If you can bring value and uh, an opportunity value, it will find you. But if I have zero money in the bank and zero skill sets, what value can I bring to the opportunity? I knew that starting out. And so I purposely lived off of very, very, very little. I stacked cash until the point where I had enough 
then I could utilize that income or the, excuse me, that money that was sitting in the bank. I used the income to create the savings. Then I used the savings to start investing. But if I didn't use that first two or three year period as a sacrifice period to live way beneath my means, I would have never put enough in the bank to take advantages of the opportunities that started presenting themselves. And I tell people all the time, if I have an opportunity today right now to change your life, and it's $75,000, do you have the ability to take advantage of that opportunity right now? 99.9% of people will say no. So people need to start preparing themselves for opportunities that they don't even know about yet. In five years from now, there could be a life-changing opportunity for a sales rep that works for you, but if they're living off of their income, they're not gonna be able to take advantage of that. So the idea is where could you make sacrifices? I had to make sacrifices by working longer hours than most people in order to make the 20, 120, 130 grand that I did. Then I had to make personal lifestyle sacrifices to allow me the ability to have the money when some unforeseen opportunity presents itself that I don't even know exists yet. And that's really the failure in societies today. Nobody's preparing themselves for an opportunity they, they know nothing about. But if I presented an opportunity that cost $50,000, they'd be in a mad scramble trying to figure out a way to get access to that money. And the majority of people wouldn't be able to make it happen. And so the majority of people could never take advantage of an opportunity that could change their life because they've never prepared themselves for it. And so there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that started where I started. They're in sales and they're in sales with an opportunity to make thousands of dollars every single week but they want the, the F-150 rapper, uh, Raptor. They want the, the big house. They, they want all the things that everybody else has that owns the company, but they want that stuff at year one or year two. And they're putting themselves in a bad situation. And that's the one thing that I did differently that created an opportunity for me to go from a salesperson to the ownership side is once opportunities started presenting themselves, I started to invest. I mean, the first one was a trucking company. It went out of business. It was terrible investment. But that was my first introduction to something new and different outside of what I had to do, which was show up every day to make sales in order to make money. So I was excited about it. But that, that really cut my teeth, so to speak, in terms of overcoming fear of handing out money to something that has no promises, right? And so I invested 21 grand that, that disappeared very, very quickly. And then there was another opportunity to invest like 13 grand. I invested that 13 grand. I turned that into 60,000. Then I turned that 60,000 into me investing into uh, another company that I now own 25% of that pays me $350,000 a year. And I don't have to lift a finger for it. And that still pays me today. And that was from 10 years ago. So Trevor, what do you think, what do you think changed in, cause uh, you know, I, it's funny that you, it, it seems that you got into sales, you started making good, you started making good income and then, you know, you went down the wrong path and it seems like you're the type and we don't know each other well. So it seems like you're the type It's like, okay, I know where that road leaves, but it's a hard 180 the other direction to saying, okay, I'm going to save most of the people that were like employing that just get into sales. Or I think of myself when I first got into sales, they don't they don't think like that, right? Like they don't, they don't think, okay, I need to save this so that I can invest in an opportunity that I don't yet know exists. Did you have a mentor or a certain books you're reading or something that pointed you in that direction? Or did you just experience it the hard way and think, well, that didn't work. So I'm gonna go the other direction. No, I didn't, I didn't have mentors, uh, early on, you know, that, that what you would call a mentor, which is my team lead or whatever it was, uh, at the company that I was working for, their motto was, go spend it all. They said, whatever you can afford, buy it. They wanted us to have a thousand dollar a month Mercedes payment because right. if I have a thousand dollars, exactly, then, they exactly. Then, then I have to produce in order to produce, to maintain my lifestyle. So they wanted to put us behind the eight ball that where we had to show up and we had to put up the numbers that we needed in order just to cover our, our monthly nut. That was the information. That was the advice that I was given as a young sales rep, right? And so that wasn't the advice that, that would ultimately serve me, right? Like, here's the deal. I grew up very, very, very poor. 
like watching my mom cry to the utility department, like lights getting shut off, having to light candles, uh, you know, uh, the church had to take care of us in terms of groceries, right? Like I, I grew up on powder milk, right? Where you got to actually make your milk, scoop a powder like it's a protein shake and mix it with water, right? Like at a very young age, I really knew our circumstances weren't the best. And I remember at a very young age promising myself that I will not live like this. So if I grew grew up in dire situations, like it's not that difficult for me to live in a $750 a month crap hole townhouse. Like that was the situation that I grew up in anyways, right? Like driving a crappy, like that didn't bother me. Like I was just bought into the long term the entire time. Once I got clean anyways, obviously there was a period of time when I first went in and was just, you know, living the fast lifestyle, spending whatever came in. You know, if I made two grand that week, 500 got taken out in taxes. I'd look at my check, there's 1500 bucks, pay, you know, car payment, 550. I have a thousand bucks, call the friends. I got a thousand bucks. Let's go party this weekend, right? Like that's what it was initially. So I'm not going to try to say that I had it all figured out from day one. But when I, when I was at a very, very, very low spot, you know, when I was getting clean, um, I just asked myself the right questions. Like, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? Like, I think the problem is, is not enough people hit a low enough spot where they ask themselves very serious questions about where they're headed. If every, if you're staying in the middle and it's not too bad, then you don't ever have to ask yourself those questions. You don't really ever have to plan out your life. And I think living in the middle is a very scary spot. I'd rather be at a very low point because that's a, that's the spot you're at for a trajectory of change is when you're so fed up with something, that's when change happens. Not when everything's kind of all right. You just kind of stay in this, this groove of good week, bad week, good week, good week, bad week. You know, you're just kind of, it, it's, it's not ever bad enough to ask yourself those tough questions. And so when, when I, when I got clean, I really started evaluating my life and wanting to, you know, start taking it more seriously, like I alluded to earlier. And the only way to take it more serious is by actually thinking ahead. Like, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? And then you reverse engineer that. Like, if I know I want to be an entrepreneur, and I know I want to own my own businesses or have money to make investments, I already knew at one point that I wanted to own my own business and eventually get to the point where I'm just having money coming in so much so from prior work, that I don't have to work if I choose not to. And literally it took 10 years to get to that point. Literally I'm 10 years deep into this game and you know, the credit repair company, it's spitting out, you know, 30 grand a month. That's why I make $350,000 a year off of that company. And I have somebody that owns 15% that runs the day-to-day -day operations. So I just cash checks. We're now trying to do the exact same thing, duplicate that again with easier accounting, right? So the idea is to know where you're trying to go so that you can make moves today that inches you closer. But if you don't know where you're wanting to be in five years or 10 years, how can your decisions today connect with a long-term goal that you don't even know exists? And so right when I started to take life seriously, I knew that there was going to be a two, three, four-year period where there were some major sacrifices that had to be made in order to set myself up for that five to 10-year goal. And that's exactly what I did. I just, I, I just ran the play. I followed the protocol that I set out for myself. Did I know that it was going to work? Absolutely not. You know, I look like a genius now uh, that I make seven figures a year out of my businesses, you know, cash and checks that are 100, 100 plus a month, right? But it's what I did with that first six figures that set me up for the seven figures. And I think people are looking at that first hundred or 200 grand a year as an opportunity to live this grandiose life rather than an opportunity to set you up for something greater. And so people get to this point where they can kind of start having the boats or the trucks and the houses, and then they plateau in life. They kind of have the things that they always said that they wanted, even if they're having to work paycheck to paycheck for it, they still got it. So they stop trying to level up. When you were young and you wanted your first car, you figured out a way to make it happen. You, you got that job or you mowed the lawns or you did whatever you needed to do and you got that thing. Then you get older and you want to buy your first house and you hustle your ass off until you're able to get your first house. But then what? The average or common person, look at society, 
They have a house and now they have a car as an adult. They stop. That's as far as they go in life because they stop setting goals. When they set a goal of wanting the house, it might've took them a year. It might've took them two years, but they got the house. That's how important it is to set the goal. What's after the house? That's where people stop. And that's why average is average. It's because they just get the things that they need to get by. The car that takes them to work, the house that gives them shelter, the food that they put in their mouth, then that's it. They stop any progress personally or financially. They hit this weird plateau. And so I don't ever want to hit a plateau. And if you don't want to hit a plateau, you have to make sure you're setting goals, things that are outside of what you can currently accomplish to stretch your abilities. And then when you stretch your abilities, you become a better individual. You're evolving personally. And then by default, eventually your finances also evolve. It only evolves as much as you are personally. If you're not evolving as an individual, how do you expect your income to? And so a lot of people have it, have it backwards. Their, their New Year's resolution is they want to make more money. They, they want to take this vacation or they want to buy this car. And then at the very end, it's like, um, I, I want to exercise and I want to read a couple of extra books this year. Well, start exercising and reading more. Put that as the priority because exercise creates discipline. Reading is basically exercise for your brain. So now you're exercising discipline on a day-to-day basis with consistency in terms of showing up to the gym, even on the days that you don't feel like it, which will ultimately serve you on the days that you don't feel like knocking doors or the days that you don't feel like showing up and operating your business. The majority of people plateau in life is because they plateau with information. High school is great. We're evolving as kids. College They're learning, they're evolving, but then once they get outside of that environment, forced learning environment, they plateau as an individual, as a whole. And then people live this repeat life over and over and over for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, always complaining about all the breaks that they didn't catch rather than making that period of time, that three or four year period of sacrifice to set themselves up for something greater, but they're missing the, the the big piece. You're the captain of your ship. You ultimately determine how your life unfolds. So why aren't you putting yourself as the priority? Put yourself as the priority. The finances will figure itself out as long as you're taking care of yourself in all the right ways. I have a question. I want to backtrack a minute. So you mentioned um, your struggles with addiction. Uh, in your early twenties. And I, I, uh, I think a lot of people listening, um, either can relate or know people that have battled addiction. Um, I've had close family members, you know, even recently, uh, one of my brothers had a brother-in-law pass away from an overdose. Yeah. And, um, I think drugs are such a powerful thing and, it like trains your brain, right? You have to really like untrain your brain to get off of them at such a young age in your early twenties. Was there something that you like, what, what was the rock bottom moment for you? Like, was there something you lost? Was there a friendship a you know, or a person you lost or was it like, what was the moment? And then how was it so powerful that you were finally like, I got to stop? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question because everybody around me, around me wanted me to change, you know, my, my parents, my brothers, my sisters, you know, uh, and I drug them through this, this addiction with me for, for that four year period. And no matter how much somebody wants it for you, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Like the individual has to want it for themselves in order for change to happen. And what happened with me is my rock bottom was, I mean, it got to the point where I I didn't, I didn't have a car, you know, back then half the people had cell phones. The other half didn't. Some people were still using pay phones, whatever. Right. Um, But I didn't, I I had no money. I had no car. I had, uh, I was living at home, you know, at at my mom's house. And, uh, in order for me to survive and get by on a day-to-day basis, I had to sell some in order to create enough profits to cover my, uh, my addiction. 
right? Because obviously when you're that deep in addiction, you know, I was using needles every single day. Like I was mm. bad, like shooting up. And so um, it didn't matter what you had, heroin, cocaine, meth. I just wanted to escape reality. Heroin was the drug of choice. But if you brought me anything, I'd put it in there and I would use. And so um, it got to the point where my parents have a block wall on the side of their house with a speed limit sign on the other side next to the next to the sidewalk. And so I didn't want to do deals in front of their house, just trying to be respectful as I possibly could as a crackhead. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's your, it's your own twist. It's your own twisted logic. I like, I right. like the idea of a really respectful crackhead. Yeah, he's a, he's a yeah, dealer yeah, with a conscience, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay on this side of the no, wall. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, there's a the other side their, of the wall is unacceptable. It's not their property. Yeah, it's not yeah, their property. Exactly. It's the yeah. other side of the wall. So I'm being super respectful. I'm not dealing drugs at my parents' house. But you it's, know, they, even though they came out of their house in order for me to put it on the side of the, the, the wall, right? It's um, just a it's, microcosm. It's a microcosm of how distorted your reality gets, though. Well, yeah, I mean, my, my justify things. Yeah, I mean, my, and I've shared this before on the podcast, my dad battled addiction for a long time. And he would just do things that I think in his mind made, made sense. sense. Yeah. And, um, and then everyone else around you, you're just like, and, and when you said you dragged your family through it, it really kind of hit home for me because an addict, they don't understand. Uh, they're very like heliocentric where they think the, the world that they're the sun and everything revolves around them. And, yeah, I mean, uh, look, why are my why are you guys upset? It only affects me, you know. Like, right? You're but very, they don't realize that yeah. it's it's you're you're affecting so many people around you, you know. But you oh, just don't see it, right? So everybody you're, that's around you that loves you and, and cares for you, and you're completely delusional because you don't see mm-hmm. it. So anyway, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah the the I'm conscious a respectful, decision. Uh, I'm, I'm a respectful <laughs> dealer, dude. So if <laughs> yeah. I'm ever your if my if I'm ever your roommate. Yes, I'll have it in the house, but I will not deal drugs in the front of the house. It'll be on the side. <laughs> Good to know. You Good know, so, um, so what happened was is I, I put it under a rock underneath that speed limit sign, and then they put the money under there. One time I went around that block wall, my stepdad was standing right there. He just grabbed me like by my shirt and said, you can't be dealing drugs out of my freaking house. Like just like was shaking me. Like he was so frustrated. He's, he's, he grew up on a dairy farm. He's just blue collar, hard work, you know, all of this, you know, deal drugs and drug addict stuff that don't really, that's not what he grew up in, right? Small town, you're, you're, you're too busy on the dairy farm to ever get mixed up in, in any of that bad stuff. But he was very patient with me. Uh, good, good, good dude. But after that situation, my mom came home and uh, she's crying and she said, you can't live here anymore. So I opened the door and I walked out front, started walking down the street. That's the moment that I hit rock bottom. As I'm walking, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Where am I going to sleep that night? All these questions, like what am I doing with my life? And that's why I said, I'd rather be at a very low spot because that's a, that's, that's where change happens rather than making, you know, 70 grand a year for the rest of my life, because that's enough to get by and make excuses for all your problems rather than take ownership of it. But when there's nothing, there's nothing left, you eventually have to look inward and say, well, I'm the common denominator here. I'm the source of all my problems, right? And so I'm walking down the street, uh, basically I'm like, okay, who am I going to call? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Like, I'm going to try to find the closest gas station, ask to borrow a phone and try to make a phone call and see if I can get a hold of anybody. If not, I'm probably sleeping under a bridge and I'm going to have to figure this thing out. Right. Uh, but I would see cars driving by with, with people that were like close to my age and they had families in their car. They had kids, you know, I'm almost 24 years old. So some of the people I went to high school are starting to graduate high school. They're starting to go into a career, you know, and, and I'm thinking of all this stuff and I'm like, this is not okay. This is not the way that my life should turn out. Like, this is not where I should be. I should be doing something right with my life. And as I watch, I want a family as I see another family drive by. Like, that's all I want. 
And so I started asking myself all of these very serious, serious questions, which is an addict. You don't ask yourself those questions. You know, you just get high again and you forget about it until the next time you need to get high again. And that's your only problem is figuring out a way to get what you need to get for that day. And as long as that's taken care of, you're not even thinking, you know, at that point anymore. And so I really needed them to pull the rug out from underneath me. And about a mile and a half up the road, my mom pulled up. I hear a car, the rocks kind of hitting, cars pulling off to the side. And I look over my shoulder and it's my mom. And she has the passenger window rolled down. And she says, I called the doctor. You have an appointment at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. If you get in this car, this is the last time I'll ever try to help you. And do not get in the car unless you're serious. But I needed that mile and a half to ask myself the proper question. If you don't ask yourself the right questions, you're not going to find the right answers. And the only right questions are the most difficult ones that we all seem to try to avoid in life. And I needed that in order to, to, to come to this, this, this spot, this rock bottom place that would allow me to ask myself these tough questions and start searching for the answers. And so when I got that, that opportunity to hop in that car, I hopped in that car and I said, this is it. I'm going to do it. Because I had tried in the past. I did my whatever, 10 days of rehab here, da, 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 but it was kind of trying to do it for everybody else because I saw everybody else in pain wanting me to quit. I wanted to quit too, but I just wasn't at a rock bottom enough spot to actually honor that commitment to myself. And uh, so we went to this doctor, it's called Suboxone Doctor, it's supposedly supposed to help you with withdrawals. It didn't seem to help that great. Uh, I don't know what they would have been without it, but uh, right after we got that prescription, uh, we went up into the mountains. Um, you know, no cell phone service. I shook it out in a in a camp trailer. You know, threw it, throwing up. You know, diarrhea. You know, body aches, pains, and just sat up on a mountain for uh, a ten day period. And when I was going through the deepest, darkest pain that I could ever imagine, as I was going through those withdrawals, I told myself, I will never do anything to put myself in this position ever again to feel this type of pain and this type of hurt again. And I've honored that promise that I made to myself on that mountain 13 and a half years ago. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. I think one of the things you're describing is kind of, it's interesting because I've never had that experience, like personally, you know, I've never had a substance like addiction before. Um, but it's interesting when I think about the programming in entrepreneurs or go-getters or salespeople's brains, I actually think that, and 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 check me on this, but I, I think the thing that led you down that path is the same thing. It's the same motor that led you down a more effective path. Like we, we kind of have a, a fringe way of doing things, right? So it's like, you look at this and you're like, okay, well, why would I go do a regular nine to five and benefit somebody else? Like you have that, you know, that thinking of like, okay, well, how does his life work? How does the guy who owns the landscaping company, how does that work? Right? So you have this brain that doesn't just accept the situation that's in front of you. Yep. But I, but I also think for, for like salespeople that are good at finding solutions and good at helping people, they're good at persuasion. They're good at, well, we do these things to ourselves sometimes too. And so sometimes you're selling yourself on, I can quit anytime or now nah, I'm not a part of the system. And so I, I think there's like a, there's like a, like a bright side and a dark side that people that are good at kind of driving their own vehicle need to be aware of because you're own you're what you're describing. Most people are like three or four decisions away from that, especially if you're like a self-driven, self-motivated person that anyway, we all got ourselves into these jobs where we, you know, commute across the country and we pedal our wares to make a lot of money in a short period of time. That's a yeah. positive use of that motor. I have a friend, he listens to this podcast. You'll so probably know I'm talking about him, but he had an addiction problem. Very similar. He's one of our best salespeople. And I always say this person is like a fire. Like if you put him in a furnace or like a stove, he'll warm your entire home. And it's just the most, most amazing gift. But if you let that thing on the carpet, it'll burn your entire house down. So a lot of it oh, is yeah. like, oh yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of it is like understanding. I have this talent. I have this capability. I want to burn bright. I need to make sure I'm on the right path, and that I'm surrounding myself by the right people, and that I check my brain because I actually don't. Th I mean, you're you're an extreme example of it, but it doesn't surprise me that you swung hard the other way too. 
you have all these definitions like I will never put myself in this situation again, or this is the last time that I will feel this, right? And I think people that to some degree in sales, you get to that point where you're like, okay, I will never put all my eggs in one basket again. Yeah, I say that all the time or, or I will never find myself unprepared for another presentation or I will never lose a recruiting battle like that ever again. And because we make those extreme declarations, it really opens up pathways for better or for worse. Does any of that resonate? No, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the biggest issue is people just don't keep promises to themselves. People would rather keep a promise to somebody else than they would keep to themselves because they can sell themselves an excuse or a reason not to follow through on the thing that they promised themselves that they would do. But if I told you I'm meeting you at the gym at 5 a.m., guess what? I could talk myself out of showing up that day, but if I know that you're going to be there waiting for me, I would rather honor, honor the commitment. So I'm going to keep my promise to you and I'm going to show up. Accountability partners. Whatever happened happened to self-accountability? If people got better at keeping promises to themselves, they would be in a completely different situation that they're in. How many times have people committed like, I'm going to get in shape this year. I'm going to read X amount of books this year. I'm going to make X amount of money this year. I'm going to invest this amount of money this year. I'm going to knock on this many doors. I'm going to work later than everybody else. It's easy to say that when you feel good and you're motivated. But guess what? You said that when you were motivated, but will you keep that commitment to yourself even when that emotion's gone? Even when you're in a low place? I keep the commitments that I make to myself because I only make commitments that I know will ultimately serve me. I don't need somebody else to hold me accountable to something. I'm at the gym at the exact same time every single morning. I don't need somebody to be there waiting for me. But the average or common person needs somebody there so that they keep that commitment that they made to themselves by not breaking a promise that they gave to somebody else. That's the biggest issue. If you say you're going to do it, then honor it. Because then that's ultimately what develops character. That's what develops self-discipline. That's what develops self-worth. How can you feel worthy in yourself if you know that you're full of shit? It's completely impossible. So when you feel the imposter syndrome, whole, that whole thing, it's probably because you know that you're not doing what everybody else is doing that's, that you're in that room with. But if you know that you're doing everything that you should be doing and you keep the promises that you made to yourself, why does it matter what anybody else thinks? It's called self-worth for a reason. It's not what other people think of me worth. Well, there's I, I've always heard there's a couple ways you can attack or approach um, self-commitment. And a lot of it takes practice. It's almost like a muscle you have to like work out. Of course. Like start with small commitments, like a commitment of just like making your bed every day when you get out of bed. Yes. You know, just like stuff I, like I, that. I like, wholeheartedly you know, agree with that. Um, but other people like, you know, I think, you know, you're – an example of this some people have to just go cold turkey on stuff as well so um and i think there's a combination where you can kind of do both but um i had a question earlier uh about that rock bottom concept i think um you know we have a big sales force there's you know 1500 to 2000 sales reps working for us and wow. um sales is a it's a very mentally challenging job and you spend a lot of time alone right and um, I think there's, you know, there's probably people listening that are kind of heading toward this rock bottom moment in their life. And, and I think we have a lot of people that are doing really, really well and, and really successful. There's, there's like these two extremes and a lot of people in the middle, but to those people who are heading toward that rock bottom moment, do they have to hit rock bottom to change or what are the things that, you know, you kind of recognized on the way there that had you just recognized it sooner, acknowledged it, admitted where you were kind of heading. Like, does someone have to hit rock bottom to change or can they, um, can they, can they like hit the brakes on the way down and flip a Yui <laughs> on, the, on yeah. the way down? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I, I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think you can course correct at any time. Um, but again, it, it, it depends on, again, the uh, level of 
tough questions that you're willing to ask yourself. The most people just, they don't ask themselves the tough questions until they're in a spot where there's too much pain and they want to figure out a way out of the pain. The pain of having to do X, Y, and Z isn't as bad as the pain that they're going through today. And they do not want to live in that pain tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next two years. So the pain of change has to be less than the pain that you're currently experiencing. The problem is when you start creating change, it's painful. Like if, if somebody's never works out and they want to start working out at 6 a.m. every that's a painful process to get your body to kind of catch up and in sync with you to be up at a certain time to get to the gym. The pain of having to wake up exhausted for the first two, three, four months until your body figures out this is the new normal, that pain of having to wake up for that three or four months has to be less than the pain that you feel about your own personal self-worth. The only time somebody takes a change and goes hard left or hard right is when the pain of how they feel about themselves physically, mentally, emotionally is too much to bear. So I'll take on the pain of change rather than staying in this misery that I live in now. The problem is, is if you're at the middle ground, there's not enough misery. You aren't willing to go through the pain of change because the pain that you live in isn't as great as uh, being at a rock bottom place, right? And so can you course correct? Yes, but is it difficult? Uh, I, I buried a, a, a one of my best friends uh, two and a half years ago, spoke at his funeral. He, he couldn't make the same changes that I made, even though he tried over and over and over, right? And I still have another friend that I hung out with quite a bit, and he's in out of jail. He's still working the system, right? Going to court, having the probation officer. Next thing you know, his pitcher's in, he's in jail. He's, it's just this repetitive cycle. So obviously the pain of him having to make a change is not great enough yet. He hasn't hit his rock bottom, right? And so does that have to happen in a typical sense outside of being a drug addict? No, but I think like 99.999% of drug addicts have to hit a very rock bottom Mm -hmm. low spot in order to make a change because addiction is that great. Yeah. It has a, has a hold on you so tight. So if you're not in a very, 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 very bad spot, that grip is tighter than the hate that you have for the spot that you're in until you hit a very, very, very low spot. And you're like, I'll go through anything. I just do not want to live like this anymore. So that I believe with addiction, you do have to find some sort of rock bottom place. And most people end up going to jail and doing you know 30 days or 60. And they hate that. I do not ever want to have to go through that again. Or they have to lose everything, their houses, their cars, their families, their loved ones, you know, whatever, in order to be able to make a change. And that's on the addiction side of things, okay? But with just an average or normal person that's trying to make it in the world, I don't think that they have to hit a low spot. I think that they just have to really surround themselves with the right people, be in the right environments, and really want something great for their life. Because if they do, they'll just be a sponge in that environment surrounded with guys like you trying to coach them, teach them on the, the do's and don'ts of sales or the do's and don'ts of life. There's, uh, there's plenty of young hustlers out there that don't have to hit low spots and they want to become millionaires and they'll become millionaires. They're just, again, uh, of high character, of high discipline, and they c- combine that with a little bit of sacrifice and consistency. And in five, 10 years, they're going to be exactly where they want to be. But on the addiction side, I do believe that you have to find a rock bottom, especially when you're talking about harder drugs in just real life, normal life. I don't think that you have to hit, hit a rock bottom to be motivated to build something special. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting if you, and I think most addicts recognize they're on the path too, but they, like you said, they haven't experienced enough pain to change it yet. But I do think a lot of times they want to change, but oh, like 100% the, pull, of the, them. The, the, the pull is so strong, right? Yep. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine who had a sister who battled addiction um, all through high school and college. And I was kind of talking to him about um, how she you know, how she was stuck in it and how she couldn't get out of it. And he said, the number one thing that, um, that we knew she was never going to change is because she would never change her friends and her friends were all addicts. Her friends were all into drugs, everything else. So he was like, until she was willing to cut off all those friends and change her friend group, we just knew it was never going to change. And, Mm -hmm. and she's still battling it today. So, um, I think, 
I guess, um, you know, I would even say for, you know, if we have any sales guys who are currently like, you know, in a bottom kind of stage of their life or whatever, like the first thing you want to do is look at who you're surrounding yourself. Oh, yeah. Look at who the friends are. Even there's, even we have some of these big teams we have, there'll be groups of guys on the team that aren't super focused or they're not, they don't take the job serious or whatever. And it's like, if those are your boys and then you're asking yourself why you're not having more success, like change your friend group now, like stop hanging out with those guys, start hanging out with the people that are doing it really successfully. And you're going to start seeing change pretty quick. Right. So, Oh yeah. But, the, um, the, the environment's uh, a huge, huge factor to success. When we started investing into ourselves, self-improvement, coaching, masterminds, mentorship. Uh, so there's the Arate syndicate, Andy Frisella and Ed Milet created, uh, I think in 2018, uh, it, it's a little bit different than what it used to be uh, because it, it, the, the syndicate level was a $6,000 a month cost. So it's $72,000 a year to be a part of that group. Me and my business partner, Kel, joined that group because we want to level up together, right? I don't I don't want to go off and start leveling up and then we end up on two different levels. We're just not in sync. And so we both committed to this and spent $144,000 in that year just to be a part of this entrepreneurship group because we knew how important it was to put ourselves in the right rooms and surround ourselves with the right people. And so there was only 100 people that were selected for the RTA syndicate. You know, we have business ventures now uh, based upon the individuals that we met in that group. And so going into it, did I know that that investment would, would pay off in the way that it's paying off now? Absolutely not. But you have to be willing to invest into yourself and Part of that doesn't necessarily mean money. It's investing into the environment that you surround yourself with and the type of people that you surround yourself. That might be the first investment that you make into the environment is not hanging out with the old friends anymore, the old homies. That you, and that was the thing that I had to do when I came off of that mountain. I was done. The calls kept coming in. The texts, okay, hey, we're doing this. Just, we're going to do this. We're gonna, no, count me out. Count me out not in. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So the first few years of change can be pretty lonely because you're trying to figure yourself out and you're used to surrounding yourself with so many people at all times. And when you have to sit with yourself, it, I, th I think it's, I think it's a good thing. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot that can happen where you understand yourself better when you're alone versus the busyness of being in a group. You don't have to focus on yourself when you're always surrounding yourself with people. But uh, first step, yeah, is once once you make that commitment, you do have to find the right type of individuals to wrap, surround yourself with that are also trying to go on that exact same path that you're trying to go on. And in some cases, you don't find that and you're going to have to be alone for six months, a year, two years until you find that new ecosystem that you can thrive in. Let me uh, see if we can do this, because you talked a lot about, you know, in the very beginning about, um, you know, the, the benefits of acquiring capital and get that capital working. Um, you know, luckily, you know, just the way the economy has been over the last like 10 years and, you know, the way technology has created new opportunities and stuff. If you want to hustle, especially if you if you want to sell stuff, it's not that hard to find jobs where you can make money, right? You can get started faster now than you ever could, right? Like oh, yeah. even like just, just there's so many different ways and there's so much education and self-education on how to do it. But in our world, um, you know, direct sales is one of those things that's really proven and really founded. When I, I, when both Adam and I had started, it was the first time I'd ever heard about it and it sounded a little bit like a sham and yep. ah, that sounds too good to be true, whatever. Yep. People, it's, it's a real founded opportunity now. So Let's talk about, you know, if you were to come into, say you were at that no income place right now, knowing what you know now, okay, for some reason you got wiped out. You're the business that you're in, the, the, the accounting business and the, the, you know, whatever the businesses you have stopped working and no one likes your podcast anymore. All right. And you're broke. So <laughs> bad day. <laughs> yeah. Say you could get into a job where you could make $10,000 a month, right? Nothing crazy, but you could do that. What would be your mindset and how would you start getting money working for you? Because there's two paths, right? There's the young rep that comes in and starts getting money and then all of a sudden starts down that path that you had talked about, mm -hmm. right? Or there's the one that that has a vision and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maximize this and get this working. So how would you do it? So the, the thing is, is I think a lot of people, when they, when they know that they want greater in life, 
and they're willing to start making some sacrifices and put a little bit of money away. Let's say they live off of whatever, three grand a month. They pay a couple grand a month in taxes or whatever. So they're still left with, let's say, 5000 bucks a month in disposable income. Like I, I had a sales rep come to me and said, I got 200 grand in the bank. What should I do with it? And I said, nothing. I said, keep it there. Keep stacking cash. I said, if the right opportunity hasn't presented itself yet, it's not the right opportunity. The first deal that I did, I was in a rush. I wanted my money to work for me so bad that the first thing that came to, to, to the table was a trucking company. And I was just only looking at the pros. I wasn't looking at the company because I was so eager to have my money working for me. And so I was just throwing it out there at, at crappy investments because I was young and eager to win. Right. And so I would say if I was making $10,000 a month, I would do exactly what I did. I was making 10 grand a month, 120, $130,000 a year. I I would make sure that I have a car that's two or $3,000 a month that's paid off. I don't care what people think about me. It doesn't bother. Just so that you understand, I still live by this concept today. Everything I own is paid off except for a $1,280 a month house payment. And I make six figures a month. I live off of four to five percent of my income still to this day because I'm trying to turn seven figures into multiple seven figures a year and then multiple seven figures in a year to four to five to six million per year. So this principle is not lost on me. I still live it right now. I wired out a quarter million dollars to invest into a restaurant company that you guys may know Aaron Wagner. He's up there in Salt Lake. He did the crumble cookies, the Everbowl, all that. So that's where I met Aaron is in the RTA syndicate. I've done multiple deals with him just in the last year, invested $860,000 into multiple business ventures, right? So when you're first starting out and you're trying to save money, don't all of a sudden start making a few investments and then automatically live high on the hog. Continue to do what ultimately served you. Living like that got me to be a business owner. So why would I all of a sudden stray away from that? If I'm making a half a million dollars a year, why don't I just live off of a hundred grand, pay my 150 in taxes, and now I have $200,000 a year in disposable income. I can take higher risks than the average person. If that quarter million dollars that goes out doesn't make me a dime, guess what? I still have the exact same lifestyle. I'm not risking what I have today for a greater tomorrow. I don't have to do that because my today situation isn't as great as what everybody else wants their situation to be like today. So if I have $10,000 a month in bills, I can't risk as much money. But if I have $1,280 a month in bills, but I make six figures, I can risk a lot of money and, and, and miss a million times and hit that one thing that ends up being great. So when you say, what would you do? I still do it today. I live way, way beneath my means. Most people care about the gram and the flex. Everybody wants to flex. Everybody wants other people to think that you're doing well. I already knew time would take care of that. So I'm okay pulling up to the stoplight in a piece of crap Mitsubishi Lancer next to somebody that's driving a Benz or, you know, that's driving the BMW or whatever. I look over at that individual and I actually feel bad that they're stuck with that. They have to work for the rest of their life just to maintain that type of a lifestyle. When I'm willing to take a large step backwards for a period of time, it's like a rubber band effect. Way back, snap it. I'm going to end up way further than you. And so I would do the exact same thing that I did. I would find a sales job that allowed me the ability to make $10,000, $15,000 a month. I would live off the least amount that I could possibly live off. I would stack cash and keep my ear to the street. The opportunity always finds the money. And a lot of people think that they just need, hey, I've got money. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to put it to work. I, wh- what should I do? Everyone's asking everybody what to do with their money. When I didn't ask one person, I just stacked cash until the opportunity started finding me. And then I slowly started taking advantage of missed on a lot of them, but I've hit on some of them. And the ones that I've hit on are making me way more money and has covered the misses and some at this point. And so again, I'd live way beneath my means. I would watch the environment that I'm in. I would invest into self-improvement because if you're investing into self-improvement and you're putting yourself in the right rooms, those right rooms will present the opportunities to you. And now you're only getting presented opportunities of individuals of the same mindset that are looking for something greater and that are 
motivated enough to invest into themselves by putting themselves in that room. Those are the people that you guys want to do business with. And so if you're not investing into the rooms that you're putting yourself in, then you're not investing into your future. Like that's just how I look at it. All opportunities that have been presented to me came from somebody else. So I want to put myself in as many rooms as I possibly can so that I can get opportunities presented to me as many times as I possibly can. And I can pick and choose which ones that I want. Nowadays, we get opportunities presented to us weekly. Hey, do you, some guy texted me just the other day. Do you want to invest one hundred fifty dollars to $250,000 and own my portion of my kitchen and countertop business? I told him, no, I have no interest in kitchens and countertops. But uh, on some of the other deals, I've done it. You know, and I'm starting to get some of the mailbox money. At first, a young sales rep has to trade time to get the check. That's just what it is. You're on the doors. You're trading your time. The more time you can be out there, the larger the check will be. The second step is you now take the time that you, uh, or the money that you have and your time. So now you're investing time and money into a business. And then eventually that business spits out enough money to where you're just investing the money piece. So it's just time, you get money. Then you invest time and money. Then you get more money. And then you start using that more money just to have mailbox money. Make the investments that you no longer have to work for and your money's bringing in money now. And so over the last two years, that's the position I put myself in is I keep shelling out money to where I start just getting that that, that mailbox money coming in, a couple grand here, four grand here, and it starts to compound. And the idea is I know a lot of guys in the, in the door-to-door industry that, uh, that, that bought a house and got a couple of the other guys in door-to-door to, to rent rooms from them. That's how they started their journey is they went door-to-door, they made a bunch of money, then they bought a house. They rented out those rooms to where their room was now paid for. Then they did it again. They bought another house and was just renting that one out. Brody Fawcett, he's a good friend of mine. This is actually his company and his hat, but he started out in door-to-door sales and now he's making seven figures a year in real estate. But he did the exact same thing that I'm talking about here. He didn't go by the Raptor. He didn't go by the house. He didn't go by the boat. He lived off of little for the first few years, took what he had extra and was putting down payments on houses, buying houses, just renting them out. And now he has an entire portfolio of homes and now he's making seven figures annually and about to start his own real estate investing uh, mastermind and coaching group. Because he took that two or three year step backwards and made the right decisions that connected with his long-term goal, he's now, I think he's 29, something like that, and he's making seven figures a year. It shows you just right there with that testimonial plus mine what six figures could set you up for as long as you play your cards right. A lot of guys listening to this could easily touch six figures. And if you're not, that's on you. You're just unmotivated. You're just not willing to do the work that other people are willing to do. Why? Because you're the only different thing in the equation. You're all selling the same product and services. You're all in the same neighborhood. You're all not, everybody has the same opportunity. They are just a little bit more driven. So if you're not making six figures, you're the problem. Now, if you're making six figures and you're spending it all, you're still the problem. If you're making six figures, stacking cash, now you're the solution to a greater future. And that's the playbook for anybody that's in sales because I watched my uncle make a ton of money, live a grand life for probably 10 to 15 years and he lost it all. Now he's a chef, uh, you know, and driving a 1991 Ford Ranger when he lived in the nicest, best neighborhoods that you could imagine here in St. George, drove all the nicest things. But he chose to live off the money that he was generating over that period of time and is now broke. So I try to extract lessons wherever I possibly can based upon other people's outcomes of their life. And literally, I know people in the door-to-door industries that are now making seven figures that are millionaires. I came from sales. I'm now multi-multi-millionaire. So sales is an opportunity that can change your life. It just depends on what you choose to do with the opportunity. And it's really just about giving up two, three, four years of your life through that sacrifice period. Discipline, yeah, it's tough to to make good money. It takes discipline. But what takes real discipline is when your money's coming in and you're choosing not to spend it for a greater future. That's when the real discipline kicks in, when you can have everything that everybody else has, but you choose not to. And that's, that's the only reason I'm sitting where I'm sitting right now is because I took that backseat to a lifestyle for three or four years. Time's going to summarize what I heard. Summarize. Was <laughs> buy NFTs. 
Yes. And Shiba yes. Crypto. Crypto. Yeah. Yes. Recklessly. Recklessly. I would. I would. That was, I would. That, that was, That's what I actually I, do, right? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So if you want the real story, I'm a yeah. Bitcoin millionaire. No, no. I love it. Uh, no, I love all that. And that really um, hits home, man. Because really we're, cool. you know, Ty and I are both, uh, you know, I'm 42, Ty's 39. We're old in our industry. There's a lot of younger guys. And they start making money and we have these conversations with them all the time on what, you know, they come to us all the time. What should I do with my money whatever? And there's some that no matter what you say to them, they're determined to spend money on a car or, you know, clothes or whatever, you know? And, um, I feel like sometimes you kind of have to let them get it out of their system a little bit, but it's like, you know, we're constantly trying to provide or, or at least encourage them to make smart decisions. And you touched on it earlier, the principle of just delaying your gratification. Um, and that's, that's all, you I know, it's kind of, kind of your motto. And I feel like that's kind of the, if I, if I actually had to summarize everything you've kind of been saying throughout this podcast, it's you've become really, really good at delaying your gratification. And, and that's a, a principle of success. Um, one of my favorite books, the road less traveled has, uh, an entire chapter on it, you know, and, um, just that principle of delaying gratification. So anyway, we're out of time. Um, really appreciate all the content. I think our guys are really, really going to love it. Um, especially the guys that are on the come up and making good money and they're going to, uh, hopefully, uh, slow down a little bit, this mindset of, of that, as you said, trying to flex on the gram and all that good stuff and, and start stacking cash. Like, uh, like you're saying, so it's been awesome to have you on, get to know you a little bit. No, I appreciate you guys, man. Appreciate you guys reaching out to me and asking me to be a guest. I, uh, I have a lot of love for your guys's industry. Your guys's industry is awesome. I love the young hustler mindset. So if, if I was going to start another business, it would probably be in, in the door to door industry because I, I enjoy the youthful energy of individuals Mm. that really just want to level up in life. And just, it reminds me of, where I was a long time ago. So to, to be able to be surrounded by that every day and, and to be able to be their mentors would be a, 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 an awesome opportunity, but I'm not going to step on your guys' toes and start a door to door company. You guys already Come have partner. enough, com- <laughs> yeah, we you guys know already have enough competitors. We got a good yeah. organization. Um, yeah. where can people find you, uh, throw out a plug for your, um, social yeah, podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Just real business owners. It's on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, and the podcast is called real business owners as well. So we just share, you know, same type of information, you know, mindset information, how to overcome struggles, how to put yourself in better situations long-term, some of the same type of content that you guys are putting out. So we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, Trevor. And, uh, we wish you continued success, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, just DM us on Instagram and one of us will reach out about how to join this dynamic opportunity. You want to come be a part of the best sales team, solar team in the industry? Hit us up. Sunrun. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.